Welcome to the Christ and Classics podcast, where we read the great books or the classics or old books. (laughs) (laughs) We read them in the light of Christ. My name is Devin, and I'm joined here with Colton Moore. Let's dive right in. Colton, book eight. Take it away. Book eight. This is a. This is like a. This is like the uh, <clears throat> the moment where you're like think think November. Oh gosh, well, I, it, I'm, it is November. <laughs> well, I know, I know. We're, we're we're in like Northeast Texas, and so I'm thinking like it's it's a mild climate. It's like 65 degrees, but then there's that moment when that cold front first comes through, and that first gust of cold air, and you think, oh gosh. It's about to get real. And within about 10 minutes, the temperature drops 30 degrees. That's where we're at right now in book eight. Like book eight, this first gust of cold wind and the change of the weather. And it's like, oh, something's about to happen. And that's where we're at. And I'll take you away. Uh, Right. So we're off. We're off the cuff of book seven, book seven, where. Hector and Ajax have dueled. They've stopped. They've reconciled surprisingly on the on the in no man's land in the battlefield. And the Trojans and Greeks have uh, also come onto the battlefield and gathered their dead unarmed. And you got this beautiful picture of peace within the, this chaotic war. Mm-hmm. And Book Eight comes around, and it begins with the gods. And our, our 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 minds are immediately directed back up to Olympus, to the heavens, and Zeus is going yeah. to summon the gods and command them to not intervene. Uh, only he's going to be the one to turn some tides in the war and get his fingers involved in them. But the rest of them are strictly forbidden to intervene, and at the cost of their own, <laughs> like. Lives, if you will, he's, he th- he threatens to throw them down into to Tartarus if they they disobey. He yeah. he pulls he pulls out his famous golden scales to determine Achaea's quote day of doom, and mm. the, the the scales don't fall in their favor. The Trojans will uh, drive them back, according to Zeus, for some reason that we'll that we'll talk about. The Trojans then drive the Greeks back all the way back to their ships, and then our then our attention is directed back up to the heavens where Hera and Athena don't like what's going on. And they really begin to kind of like quasi involve themselves into the war. But Zeus quickly sends the messenger goddess Iris to stop them. Mm-hmm. And, and they comply. They make their way back up to Olympus with their tails tucked underneath their legs. And um, after Zeus rouses the Trojans against the Greeks, he comes back up to Olympus. Mm-hmm. And he tells them all, uh, particularly uh, Athena and Hera, that, hey, I'm going to kill these Greeks, and the Trojans are not going to stop killing the Greeks until Achilles rises beside the ship. So until Achilles comes out of the hole of his Myrmidon shipped, shipped mm-hmm. to, uh, to fight. And the book ends with, Trojans making hundreds of camps near the Greek ships. You get this picture of 
campfires that are just scattered all throughout on this beach near the ships. There's still yeah. a good there's still a good um bit of land between the ships and the uh Trojan camps, but by the end of book eight, the Trojans seem to have the upper hand. They've slaughtered lots of uh, countless Greeks, and the Greeks are in a pretty pretty tight spot. That's the cold wind, if you will, to we're gonna keep with that metaphor that, that Zeus is yeah. blowing. And we're gonna explore a few different things because this is a turning point in the book. And uh, I, hmm. I, I, so? I, well, we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder if it if it's worth beginning with um, examining a few of Zeus's words here at the beginning of Book Eight as he's talking to these gods and telling them, commanding them not to. Uh, intervene. <clears throat> so yeah, he said he, he's got in. Uh, he says in line, was it five, right at the beginning. Hear me, all you gods and goddesses too, as I proclaim what the heart inside me urges. Let no lovely goddess and no god either try to fight against my strict decree. All submit. You all submit to it or me now. Here's the purpose. So all so that. All the more quickly, I can bring this violent business to an end. Oh, and then he gives a threat. <laughs> Any god I catch breaking ranks with us, eager to go and help the Trojans or Achaeans, back he comes to Olympus, whipped by the lightning, eternally disgraced, or I'll mm. hurl him down to uh, to the murk of Tartarus, half a world away. And so, like, right there, Zeus is telling the gods, you guys stay out of it, because I've got this right now, so that I can quickly bring all this to an end. The Greek is like, uh, he says, so that I can finish these things, these matters. And yes. it, 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 it's, it, it's, this, it's this sense where you've got a commander-in-chief who's, who's like, okay, we're doing it my way or the highway right now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah, and he seems pretty, uh, I don't know, pretty bent on... Uh, no one else can get involved and thwart what he's doing. He's directly overseeing uh, how this battle is going to continue at this point. Does that, but does that then uh, betray his own inability to perhaps control others to thwart his will? Like I thought, Zeus's will is inthwartable. Can can they? Like, are the other gods really in a position to where they could thwart his will? It or doesn't is seem he... like it, but they're going to make it uh, really painful. <laughs> well, like, he keeps going on, like in line, um, yeah, line 19. He says, then, like, once I've once I've thrown you down into Tartarus, if you disobey me, <laughs> then yeah. he, that god or goddess, will know how far my power tops all the other gods. And he's like, come and try me. Come and right. try me. Hang a great golden cable down from the heavens. Lay, lay hold of it, all you gods, all goddesses too. You can never drag me down from the sky to the earth. Not Zeus, the highest and mightiest of all the kings. So he's like, he's saying, uh, you're going to do what I say or this really bad thing's going to happen to you. And, mm -hmm. and besides, I'm I'm the highest and mightiest. And so yeah. I, I just wonder, like, Zeus, are like, of course you're the strongest, but like, are, are you really is in control of all this as you, as you seem to put on so so there seems to be a, a couple of things going on with with this whole thing at the beginning number one 
Mm-hmm. He's got a he's, he's got a purpose to accomplish, which is to bring all the matters to an end, bring his entire will to its end goal, which we see uh, uh, in book one with the proem, but also two to to show forth his mighty power, his exaltation over the other gods for for some reason, um, in a really kind of self promoting and violent way. It almost and, sounds insecure. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, and it, it's so it's so foreign to the uh, God of the of the Christian scriptures who mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. scoffs in the in, in the face of <laughs> other challengers. He he laughs at them. <laughs> right. It, it's almost it's it's almost like this Tom Bombadil kind of picture from from the Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship, where oh, yeah. he's met Bombadil's met with this incredibly powerful and uh wicked strength of the enemy and he just laughs at it and it's like and he, he throws it up in the air he puts it on it doesn't have any effect and he gives it back to frodo and th- that's it's a good picture of the christian god hmm. when met with uh some evil force or even some challenger he's just like eh <laughs> he just Stop what you're doing. Like, there's you, you're no match. But Zeus here seems to be flexing his muscles in somewhat of insecurity. Maybe, maybe that's just reading in, reading into it. But he seems to be kind of going over the top here. Hmm. Um, it also reminds me of Psalm two. You know, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? Uh, and then he who sits in the heavens laughs. laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. <clears throat> And then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Yeah. Yeah. So there's contrast. <laughs> yeah. And what also is uh, has has struck me about Zeus, Zeus's opening words here, it's mainly that purpose clause. It's in line 9 through 10, which is... Mm-hmm. Uh, so that all the more quickly I can bring this violent business of the war to an end. And like the adverb, all the more quickly in, in Greek, it's literally like, uh, it's a comparative, like really quickly. And I thought like, well, why is he, why is he in such a hurry to do this? And then it dawned on me, he's like, oh, well, this year's been going, this war has been going on for <laughs> nearly 10 years. And uh, it's probably time to wrap this thing up. <laughs> but I, I'm not sure. Yeah, it is odd. Um, it's odd. I mean, wrap it up quickly <laughs> it's, it's been going on for so long you would think you would have said that a lot earlier there, there there's several themes that that are here that have made their presence in the previous seven books and not the least mm-hmm. of which is what we what we see in book one with some of those major themes of uh rage and zeus's commitment to thetis's petition and right. Right. The centrality of Zeus's will accomplishing all of this. Well, just never mind that there's a fate that's behind Zeus that's really kind of controlling what he's doing. But uh, well, um, actually, had a, there was some reference to uh, Zeus and fate in this book, in book eight. Did you catch uh, that one? Um, uh, hold on, I'm looking for it right now. Oh yeah, line. 495 or so 
Okay, I'm there. Uh, oh, Hera yes. is speaking to Athena, and she says, let Zeus decide the fates of the men of Troy and men of Argos both. To his deathless heart's content, that's only right. Yeah, interesting. I, I wonder if the word fate there in, in the original is the the same word for fate that we get it, that, that we have when it's capitalized as a proper noun to refer to... Uh, yeah, the the deity of sorts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Good interesting question. Um, I'd have to refer to my friend Colton on that one. <laughs> I I don't know about that. Homer's Greek is incredibly challenging. It's not. It's nothing like uh, nothing like the New Testament, or especially in and and not like the early church fathers. Uh, Homer's no. He's no uh, humble koine. No, it's a, a well. I, Kind of a kind of a side tangent, but we have a friend who's doing a PhD <laughs> at Notre Dame, and he's doing some. Uh, he's got a class in Homeric Greek, and he's just telling me how it's just, it's, it, it's it's so different as far as like grammar, syntax, and even the, the meaning of certain words and, and spellings and all sorts of things like that. I mean, it is mm. eight hundred, nine hundred years before uh, Christ, and so you'd expect yeah. uh, language to, to 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 shift up quite a bit. So yeah, just a little can, bit. Yeah. You can think of the English language 900 years ago, and it's it doesn't a, exist. <laughs> lots of difference. So, um, yeah. So I, I I guess. Sorry. Yeah. Well, the the question you were saying something about the. Like well. The, the, I, yeah. Go ahead. There's a few questions that we could ask. So let's just let's just <laughs> let's just stick with one. Why right. does Zeus? We'll stick with one. Why does Zeus forbid the rest of the gods? to intervene in the war so that he can grant the Trojans the upper, upper hand in battle. Like, why is he forbidding them? And which would allow him to only take responsibility for, for this uh, aspect of the Trojans uh, gaining the upper hand? Hmm. Yeah, I mean... It Historically, it seems that Zeus has been very indirect. He's not been, uh, uh, you know, primarily causing this or that. But I think it was maybe in book two. Um, uh, I, oh man, I can't remember the particulars at this point. But he was going to do something. Uh, and so he has... Uh, oh, I remember now. He has um, basically the the the. He, I think that's the one with. Uh, sorry, I'm bumbling around here. He <clears throat> gives Agamemnon some a dream, and then Agamemnon indirectly kind of um, berates the troops because uh -huh. the the troops were running away. Um saying all right well time to get out of here time to go home and and then odysseus and nestor and and the others say no no he's right we gotta come on men <laughs> and uh and all this and then that as you know athena and hera see uh zeus or not see zeus as they see the the troops maybe uh leaning away they help, you know, Odysseus and, and, and the others to really encourage the Greeks to 
to keep on keeping on. And so you end up having Hera and Athena implementing exactly what Zeus wants, even though um, they want the they don't want the same thing he wants, at least not immediately. Yeah, and so yeah. he's got this really roundabout, indirect, like secondary causation kind of thing going on. Except here in book eight, it seems to maybe turn around a little bit. Yeah, and I think what's what's really clear for here in this text, in this book, is that um, the tides of the war are going to shift into the Trojans' favor, which is a direct fulfillment, like like a direct, a clear fulfillment that Zeus, uh, of Zeus's... Um, his nod. His nod to Thetis. <laughs> Thetis, yeah. at the very beginning, is like, my son has been dishonored. Zeus, remember when I helped you? Please glorify him by allowing the Trojans to gain the upper hand. And now yeah. Zeus is doing just that explicitly explicitly and albeit through through a series of events which is is the i think that the stepping stones of books two through seven that's that's leading up to this moment which will lead up to another moment and um so i think we have to keep in mind zeus has got um, a petition to fulfill he's bowed his head and he has to fulfill it and even athena uh, concedes to this in in lines four four twenty three to four twenty seven. Mm-hmm. She's she's like whining like oh my like dad hates me. Ugh. <laughs> she says, but Zeus hates me now. He fulfills the plan of Thetis, who cupped his chin in her hand and kissed his knees, begging Zeus to exalt Achilles, scourge of cities. But the day quite... will come when Father, well I know, calls me his darling gray eyed girl again. And so, <laughs> <laughs> like, like. The gods know that Zeus has to answer this, and he's doing it right now explicitly. The Trojans have beat the Greeks back to the ships, not quite as severe as they will, but there's that. But I think the other thing is that yeah. Zeus also has a commitment to raise Troy to the ground. Like yeah. The very folks who, whom he's exalting currently will be the very folks that he destroys by... Achilles' own hand um, right. later on, as this book even prophesies. So, I think I think that's th- these two pieces are, are 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 central to understanding what uh, uh, this this change of the winds, if you will. In yeah, the, book, in the poem. Yeah, he says just to cite the 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 place you're talking about. Uh, around line 545 this powerful hector will never quit the fighting not till swift achilles rises beside the ships yeah that day they battle against the high sterns pinned in the fatal straits and grappling for the body of patroclus so runs the doom of zeus oh yeah yeah um yeah so there are no surprises i mean homer somehow crafts uh, you know, the, this epic poem that has endured generation after generation, millennia. And he gives away significant plot points <laughs> at multiple points 
in the book. Um, it's it's fascinating. Yeah, and like I, it's it it seems to be uh, a very different way of retelling a story than we're typically used to. Uh, mm-hmm. I think we mentioned this on a previous episode where. Uh, for us moderns, we typically thrive on a story that's suspenseful, where mm-hmm. you don't know the outcome, but you're heavily alluded to the to its to the outcome, or there, there's a series of events that are conflicting that could go either way, and you're left with with a suspense, and then at the end, it all resolves. Homer, mm-hmm. right at the very beginning, is like, "Hey, this is where the story is, is going," and perhaps, perhaps this has to do with a common oral tradition of the Trojan War, the judgment of Paris that precedes it, and the, right. in, in the in the events of perhaps even uh, uh, the various characters uh, that, that follow it, such as Odysseus, and <clears throat> and the bards who would sing this and kind of compose on the spot, perhaps. Right. Uh, I mean, it's all speculation right now for me, but. <laughs> Perhaps, like, it, it's just part and parcel of it. We know this story. It's, it's part of our common heritage. And, and the and so it's there are no surprises in, in, in that regard. But it is interesting to see how a knowledge of the end does affect the, the various characters' um, behavior. Behavior. And um, particularly with Achilles, who knows what his doom is. Uh, mm-hmm. by by coming to war um yeah yeah and it's maybe this is a tangent um but i've just been kind of reflecting on zeus as a as a character and the comfort that he brings at one point in this book he he <laughs> so he had told the gods and the goddesses don't get involved and then he actually takes pity after Agamemnon um, yes. starts yeah. praying for relief. Zeus himself takes pity. <laughs> and, yeah. and and then they start to rejoice because maybe they've got favor because the Zeus sends the eagle as a, um, a good omen of sorts. And it just made me think, why is anyone comforted? to have Zeus on their side because he might be on your side today and he might be on your opponent's side tomorrow. There's there, there really should be no comfort um, because uh, unless you just know exactly how it's going to end. Um, and some people do um, there really shouldn't be any comfort because he's unpredictable. Um, the same guy, who gives you favor gives someone else favor, you know? And on top of that, when you include the gods, um, uh, he's cruel. He's cruel to all of them. <laughs> he's cruel to the gods. He's cruel to humanity uh, on, on both sides of the war. Um, I just, sorry, that, that, that's my little aside that, wow, Zeus really is cruel and kind of narcissist. So it so all of this is happening and coming to a head in book eight. Uh, well, at least right now, it's going to really come to its fruition in, in, in book nine. 
Well, and, and even then, there's there, there's more to come. <laughs> but yeah. I, I I'm just amazed that the will of Zeus is coming toward its end through quite natural means. And I mean, mm-hmm. book eight, you could argue, is not a natural means because he he weighs the scales and he puts it into the heart of the Trojans strength and into the heart of the Achaeans weak weakness. But yeah. all the things that have led up to this point, such as uh, uh, Agamemnon and Achilles uh, tussle, Thetis's prayer, and then you've got Menelaus in Paris in book in books uh, uh, two, I believe, two or three. Uh, and and uh, they're about they're about to end the war when when they duel. Then Aphrodite pulls Paris away, and then you got yep. P- Ponderus in the uh, on the Trojan side who breaks the sworn truce, which reignites the war, yep. like, like which was spurred spurred on by Athena, the goddess. And then they're battling it out. Diomedes gets some gets some. Uh, Heroic focus in book five as just like a bloodthirsty slaughtering machine who is killing men and wounding Ares and Aphrodite. But then in the middle of all this chaotic bloodshed, you've got books six and seven where uh, in in the middle of all of it, uh, the, there's a there's a peace. There's an appropriate and beautiful peace among Diomedes and Glaucus who've got a common uh familial history you've got the hector and ajax shaking hands and trading armor and then both armies coming onto the battlefield once again and and it's all leading up to uh what's happening here in book eight and it's like zeus doesn't just make things happen like out, out of thin air he doesn't just say okay Achilles, here's your glory. Okay, Troy, you're going down. It's he's right. in a sense perhaps even patient with this war uh being um drug out to the degree that it's been drug out. Yeah, and, when you think about it, it's taken now, you know, books two through eight for him to really make good on Thetis's request. Yeah. That's I mean yeah, and, and and even then, it's not going to be fulfilled. <laughs> Thetis' request isn't going to really be fulfilled until, oh gosh, uh, book 18, where Achilles will finally come out and his his mother will give him uh, God-wrought armor. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, uh, I, for all of you listening and just reading along with us, <laughs> I'd like to formally apologize for Colton's indiscretion. <laughs> hey, it's just in the spirit of Homer, right? <laughs> That's true. So, That's true. Uh, book eight is going to set us up for book nine, where our focus goes back to the Greeks who are languishing by their ships fearful that the Trojans are going to win this thing. And so what do they do? They go to their only hope, which is Achilles. Achilles comes back into focus uh, in book nine. But before that can happen, Zeus here in book eight has to turn the tides of the war to make the Trojans get the upper hand. And I think that's the, 
I think that's the point of book eight. It's it's a it's a transitional book that is a necessary step to drawing our attention to Achilles in book nine, uh, mm. and 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 following and following, and um, so in in that sense, it's a it, it's it's like the as I said earlier, like the first blow of the cold front air that you feel on on a on a moderately warm day and it's kind of surprising oh cold fronts about to come through hey sweetie i know it's 65 degrees right now and you're going to school but you're going to need your coat because by three o'clock it's going to be 35 and that's kind of where we're where we're at in in book eight and then it seems like it warms back up to the 70s for a little while and then a little bit another frost will come around yep yep and and if if you're catching what i'm throwing yeah what's what's beautiful about that is um we're gonna get some really zoomed in uh 4k uh images of um footage of various heroes just like we have with diomedes book five was Mm -hmm. all about diomedes the warrior we're gonna get an we're gonna get a day of agamemnon We've already seen Hector in all his glory in book six. We're gonna get Agamemnon. And in this book, in this book, Hector was a superhero. I was like, whoa! Yeah, yeah. It, two goddesses have to. I mean, he basically seems to be single-handedly destroying the Greek army, and it causes two Greek goddesses to um, say, "You know what? I know we're gonna get in trouble, but we gotta do something." Yeah, I mean yep. that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And going forward, I think Devin and I are going to we're going to uh, take sections of of the book uh, of of uh, Homer's Iliad. We've kind of just concluded books two through eight, which are arguably considered a, a unit in themselves. And you could subdivide, of course. But I think going forward, starting with book nine, we're going to take um, sections of two to three maybe chapters books at a time and mm-hmm. i think that what that will allow us to do and and chime in devin help me out i i think it'll 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 allow us to make some more meta uh uh meta connections across across books yeah. and i think it'll be a little bit easier on um on readers to get a a, a bigger picture of what the iliad's all about especially those listeners who may have not read the iliad but but you find the podcast intriguing um, mm-hmm. uh, it, it won't bog you down in the weeds so much and, right. um, make it a little bit more, uh, enjoyable to listen to kind of like a story, if you will, like, like you're sitting by a campfire and your grandpa is telling you the story of Homer's Iliad. It, it's, it, it's a, it's a, it's a similar kind of, kind of a feel I would imagine. So yeah, grandma Colton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I, um, I, yeah. So, yeah. No, yeah. So some bigger chunks um, that'll help push us through, uh, uh, to, especially to help. Uh, yeah, as you said, see some of the larger connections. And I think it's worth just saying um, that we're we've, we're seeing something of a larger connection even here in books one through eight. As in the prologue, you see um, the rage of Achilles at the start of it and at the end of the prologue uh, the will of zeus and then 
in book two, or sorry, uh, and then following the prologue, you have the rage of Achilles, and then it all kind of comes to a conclusion here in book eight, where it focuses entirely on the will of Zeus. Yeah. And what would you expect? Uh, but in the next book, book nine, for Achilles to show back up. Um, and so we see like, maybe some cycles in the Iliad uh, forming something of a structure. Um, Andrew Kern has a, he had a, a, a good podcast on, over there at the Circe Institute on, on the structure of the Iliad worth, worth listening to. But, but basically that, that's his whole idea that, oh yeah, the prologue um, pattern uh, kind of forms, um, you know, maybe three larger sections in, in the book at large. Yeah. Yeah. So might, as we, as we see that structure play out might be, um, yeah, just helpful. I mean, I, I think the, I've always thought the prologue is kind of the, the skeleton key. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, absolutely. Helps you understand what's going on and, um, Absolutely, absolutely. It's kind of like the, yeah, skeleton key is a good, a good, a good analogy. It's it's the lens by which we can read, read the Iliad and, and search for its main themes and 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 developments of of some of those that we see in the in the proem. I thought that was the gospel, Colton. Uh, <laughs> of course, of course. We, we, we've got we've got like two glasses on. Like Homer gives us his own set of glasses, right? That by which we read by, by which we read it, and then. And we got fit overs. That's right. Like, That's right. Like some, like a geriatric. Uh... Actually, I wear <laughs> fit overs, so I'm, I'm not. I'm geriatric. Well, um, <laughs> well, guys, uh, thanks for, thanks for listening. And uh, yeah. if you find if you find the podcast encouraging, uh, insightful, uh, enjoyable, share it, uh, like it, subscribe, subscribe. Yeah. Tell your friends. Um, we're hoping that it's 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 as beneficial to to you all as it is to uh, Devin and me. With that, I mean, I, I I'm I'm kind of ready to listen to Micah take us away. I I've been trying to get this guy to finish finish this thing so that he can like put it on Apple and I could tell all my friends that hey, you need to go check out Micah's version. And uh, do you want I'll, me to sing it? Go for it. Yeah, go ahead. Be thou mine. <laughs> oh gosh, we gotta cut that out. <laughs> All right. I, know, I do think it's great. It's wonderful. It's waking or sleeping thy eyes. Let's do it. See you next time.